Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. How many thinks I can make a three-point shot? You got more faith... There wasn't a hand one that went up. Nobody thinks I can make a three-point shot. Well, you're probably right. I probably couldn't. Amen. I'm going to minister to you today on a subject entitled, Don't Drop the Ball. Don't drop the ball. I'm going to talk to the pastors. Pastors. I've been with pastors all week. I'm going to talk to the... I did that in the first service, too. (laughs) I'm going to talk to the fathers today, to the dads. This message is also great for everyone else that's here today. But today I want to talk to the dads, especially, particularly about don't drop the ball. Father, we come to you right now. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather together in your name, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you that I know that in the first service you helped me, and I, and I know that you can help me right now in the second service. I rely heavily upon you for that. May the great teacher of all, the Holy Spirit, teach through me today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, today is Father's Day, and I want to talk to you today about being the leader that you need to be in your home and for your family. And the reason for that is because as goes the father, so goes the family. I was reading uh, in my research, I was reading that 87% of the children who are brought to church by their fathers continue serving God. Only 17 to 18% of the children who are brought to church by their mothers only continue serving the Lord. You say, well, why would that be, Pastor? It's because God has designed the home and God has designed the family for the father to be the head of the home, for the father to be the leader of the home. So I want to encourage you right here in the very beginning of this message that as goes the father, so goes the family. So be a good example in word, in deed, in conversation. Uh, Be a good example. And today I want to talk specifically about faith, about our faith, about not dropping the ball when it comes to our faith. So we're going to begin today by talking about staying the course. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of First Corinthians, First Chronicles. I'm sorry, First Chronicles, chapter sixteen and verse eleven. The Bible says, "Seek the Lord in His strength, yearn for and seek His face, and to be in His presence continually." Now I want to say this in the very beginning of my teaching, training, preaching, whatever this morning, that as a father and as a dad and as a husband. If I seek the face of God and I do that in front of my family, then my family has an 87% chance, according to research, they have an 87% chance of seeking God. So if I seek God, and then the Bible tells us that we're supposed to seek the Lord and we're supposed to seek His strength. So not only do I seek Him, but I have to do something that men have a hard time doing, I have to admit that there are weak times in my life. Because the Bible says that I'm supposed to seek His strength. 
Now, a woman will do that all day long. She'll say, I need your strength, God. I need your strength, God. I need your strength, God. A man, it's almost like, what, you think I'm weak? They're coming from a totally different perspective than a woman does. And so that's why when the scriptures say, seek the Lord and seek his strength, I think that he's talking to men as much as he is women, maybe even a little bit more to the men than he is women. And then the Bible says to yearn for and seek his face to be in his presence continually. Now, my third book that I've been working on now is called Presence Driven. And in this book, I have about 12 pages of outline that I've been working uh, with uh, to write this book. And in this book, contained in some of those outlines, are some stories that the Lord has brought back to my remembrance of times in my life from way back when I was young all the way up till today, same practice, where I didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go, didn't, and I would just get in a room somewhere by myself and let everything get quiet and just say, Jesus. Now this may shock this generation, but when I need to hear from God, I don't go online and Google what I need. Okay, the internet's not my God. There are times when you've got to turn your phone off, you've got to turn your radio off, you've got to turn the internet off, you've got to turn all of that stuff off and just set before God with your Bible, a legal pad, and a pencil and say, okay, God, I need to hear from you. And there are times in my life when I've had to do that and I could sense the very presence of God as it would come into that room and the questions that I had that I needed answers for that I couldn't figure out on my own would just be unveiled to me. Those answers would be unveiled. Why? Because I was in the presence of God. Presence-driven. Living a presence-driven life. The Bible said that we are to seek His face and we are to seek to be in His presence continually. And so when it says seek His presence continually, that's talking about His manifested presence, His presence that shows up, His presence that becomes visible, His presence that, that we can see. So if I'm going to stay the course, that means that I need to persevere. That word persevere means to continue the pursuit of and to be involved in the prosecution of. So I need to be involved in the pursuit of the manifested presence of God. I need to seek His face, not His hand. I need to seek His presence. And when I get His presence into my life, then His provision and His protection and His wisdom and the anointing that comes along with that automatically shows up. So if I'm going to stay the course in my life, as a man, if I'm going to stay the course in my life, then how do I do that? If I'm going to stay the course, where do I need to stay the course in? I need to be persistent. I need to be consistent. I need to stay the course when it comes to prayer. To prayer. Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is not kneeling down and talking until you're talked out and then getting up and saying, okay, we're done praying. No, you weren't done praying. You just unloaded on God, but you didn't wait long enough for God to unload back. Prayer is communication. It's a two-way thing between you and God. So I think because God gave us one mouth and two ears that we ought to talk and listen, and we ought to listen twice as much as we talk. 
And that, that, and that very same thing happens when it comes to our prayer life. We need to pray. We need to say, okay, Lord, I don't know what to do. What should I do? God, I need you to show me what to do. And here's what we do. We'll kneel down and we'll pray and we'll say, God, I need you to show me what to do. I don't know what to do. God, I pray that you'd show me what to do. And you get up and you take off. Here's what we need to do. Lord, I need you to show me what to do. I don't know what to do. And I'm going to stay here and I'm going to open my spiritual ears and I'm going to just listen for a while. Some of the greatest prayers that I've ever been involved in are prayers when I wasn't the one doing the talking. When God was talking. So when we talk about being consistent in prayer and staying the course in prayer and living the, the, a life of prayer, the Bible says in Ephesians 6 and verse 18 to never stop praying. It says don't stop praying, especially for other people. Always be in prayer by the power of the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to pray through you. And then it says to stay alert and keep praying. To stay alert and keep praying. Now that's kind of a, a reinterpretation of that scripture, but that's what it says in modern vernacular. We need to stay alert and keep praying. Sometimes life can become exhausting. Sometimes when we're praying, we can say all of these things and we've got our list of confessions and we've got our scriptures that we're praying and we've got the songs that's going on in the background and we've got the atmosphere set and we've got the mood set and we've got all of this list and everything. But sometimes the most valuable thing we can do in prayer is just to sit back in our chair and say nothing. Just listen, listen and be consistent in prayer. Then we need to be consistent in in well-doing. The Bible said in Galatians 6 and 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. See, we're the type of people, especially men, men are the type of people that if they work on something and they don't see the payoff of what they're working on, then they'll feel like they're failing and they'll quit and they'll put their efforts somewhere else where they can start seeing results. And there are things in life that don't work that way. It's hard for us to admit that, and it's hard for us to involve ourselves in things like that. But I'm going to tell you right now, raising kids is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And your kids need to see you be consistent. They need to see you be consistent in prayer. They need to see you be consistent in seeking God. They need to see you be consistent in the Word. They need to see you be consistent in treating others right and doing things right and responding right. They need to see you be consistent. And then the third thing that we need to be consistent in is in the dissemination, the proclamation, the publication, all of those other occasions of the gospel. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. It says, And you, who, were, who once were alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. Now I want you to notice what this scripture says. The Bible said that he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. There are powerful things that, took, that happened on the cross, that took place on the cross, that we don't realize and recognize today. First of all, the Bible said that our sins, our shortcomings, all of those things he reconciled in his body, in his body of flesh by his death. 
So that means when Jesus was hanging on the cross that He absorbed my failure. He absorbed my pain. He absorbed my shortcomings. He absorbed those times when, when I would disappoint Him. He absorbed my sin. He absorbed my doubt. He absorbed my disbelief. He absorbed it in His body of flesh. That's what the Bible said, by His death. And so through that, he reconciled me to God. So what does that mean? That means that since he absorbed it into his body of flesh by his death, that means when his body of flesh died, that my failure died with him. That means that my sickness died with him. That my disease died with him. That my despondency and my despair and all of those things that are unlike God that he absorbed in his body of flesh by his death, when he died, all of that died with him. And so now I live unto Christ. I give my life to Him. He reconciles me unto God. He looks at us, and instead of looking at our sins and our failures and all of those things, He sees the blood. Because the blood, listen to me, the blood is the evidence that I have been reconciled and redeemed unto God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so this is the gospel that we defend. This is the gospel that we proclaim. This is the gospel that we need to be consistent with. And so then the Bible goes on in verse 23 of Colossians 1. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, listen to me men, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. So the Bible says that we are supposed to continue in the faith and be stable and unsteadfast. Here's how I demonstrated it in the first service. If I've got my feet together like this and something hits me, uh, right now, as close as my feet is, I, I might just, you know, fall off track. But if I'm going to be stable, if I'm going to be steadfast, I'm going to be strong. When I'm at the gym and they were teaching me how to do squats, here's what they told me. They said, take your feet and put them shoulder length apart. And here's what they said. They said, that way, when you're doing the squat, you have a firm foundation. If I'm going to be strong, then I'm going to have to have a firm foundation. And I'm going to have to get myself prepared and ready. That way when the enemy comes and hits me, he can hit me with the same thing he hit me with right here that knocked me off track. But if I've got my foundation sure and I've got my foundation firm, then he can hit me and it'll knock me off. But I'm still in the same spot because, and I haven't shifted because I'm firm. That's what we need to do with the gospel. We need to be so convinced that God's word is what God said it is that Jesus is who He says He is, that this message of the gospel that's been preached for over 2,000 years that redeems the world from sin is powerful enough to forgive and to cleanse and to sanctify and to set people apart unto God. We need to be so convinced of it that when the enemy comes with a false doctrine or the enemy comes with a doubt or the enemy comes with a fear or the enemy comes with any other thing and hits us, we're standing strong and we're standing firm and we're like just, mm, is that all you got, devil? Bring it on again. The Bible tells us in that very passage right there, in that very scripture, verse number 23, to be stable and steadfast, and then the next two words says, not shifting. Not shifting, the phrase says, from the hope of the gospel that you heard. 
me tell you something. You don't need to be shifty. You need to be strong. You want your kids to be strong, you stand strong. Don't believe one thing one day and something else the next. In one day, out the next. Attend church one day, uh, not attend church the next. Read your Bible one day, for the next three days you don't read your Bible. Pray one day, for the next three days you don't pray. Your kids watch everything you do. And they're going to mimic everything that you do. Because God designed you, man. He designed you, sir, to be the leader of your home. And whether you applied for that position or not, if, there's, if you've got kids around, they're going to watch you. They're going to watch you. So give them something to follow. Because I want to tell you, they're going to follow someone somewhere. It might as well be you. It might as well be you. So, how do we stay the course, Pastor? So I know I need to stay the course. I need to stay the course in prayer. I need to stay the course in doing well. I need to be a great example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we stay the course? Well, we stay the course by having confidence in God's work in and through us. Lord, I have confidence in your work in and through me. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Number one, God is beginning His work in you. It's your responsibility to make sure it continues. We'll say that again because I don't want it to go over your head. God is beginning His work in you, but it is your responsibility to make sure that it continues. And then we go on, and how do we stay the course? I have confidence in God's work in me, and I have confidence in God's work through me. The second thing is I, I have to come into the revelation of my position in Christ. Now, I've taught you for many years that we're sons of God and heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and, and we're talking positionally like that. But I want to talk to you about something just a little bit different today out of John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that positionally we reside in God's hand. You are in God's hand. You're in God's hand. Let's have a look at this passage of Scripture. It's amazing. I've got it in NIV here. It says, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's how people know. That's how you know if you are really a Christian if you're following Jesus. A disciple is a fully developing and a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And so my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. Verse 28 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Now listen to this phrase, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's your promise from God. Can you turn your back on God? Yes, but you are the only one that can turn your back on God. There is absolutely no demon in hell, no devil himself, no aunt, no uncle, no brother, no sister, no mama, no daddy. There's absolutely no one that can snatch you out of God's hand. If you get out of God's hand, it's because you jumped out. And God's going to be trying to hang on while you're trying to jump out. He doesn't want 
to lose relationship with you. The Bible says that I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So you're in his hand. And then the Bible says this. Jesus is talking here. He said, my father who has given them to me. You are God's gift to Jesus. You are God's gift to Jesus. This is what the scripture says. Jesus says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of his hand. And then it says in verse 30 that I and my Father are one. So here's what he was saying. He was saying that you are God's gift to me. Jesus was talking. He said, you are God's gift. The sheep are God's gift to me. In the transition from God giving them to me to put them to work in the kingdom of God, there's absolutely no one that will be able to snatch them out of my hands. So how do I stay the course? I understand my position in God. My position in God is that I am so special to God that He gifted me to Jesus. His most precious gift. Now, look at it like this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Number one, God gave His Son to the earth to die, to pay for the redemption of all mankind. And then He allowed Him to rise again and come and sit at the right hand of the Father. And He made it possible now for Him to turn around and take that gift that He gave to the world. He made it possible now for that gift to reproduce. And when that gift reproduces through us giving our life to Jesus Christ, we give our life to God through Jesus Christ then now God turns around and the Bible says that Jesus was God's most precious gift and, G and He gave Jesus and now that Jesus is back, now He takes what Jesus produced when He was on the earth and we become His most precious gift because we came as the resulted, result of God's most precious gift. Are you seeing that picture? And then he takes us, which is his most precious gift, and he turns around and gives us to Jesus. As his bride. So, we got to know who we are. We're special to God. We're precious to God. You're precious to God. You're special to God. When, you come, when we come into the realization and the understanding of what that means, then all of a sudden it helps us stay the course. So how do I stay the course? I walk in covenant with God. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 40 says this, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So listen to this. If I'm going to walk in covenant with God, the Bible said, I'll make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. God not only wants to do good to you, but according to the scripture right there that I just read to you, God wants to come into everlasting covenant to do good with you, for you. That's God's word. That's God's word. I don't know why God's doing this to me. 
it's probably not God. It's probably the result of your decisions or it might be the result of the old nasty devil himself. So many times we drop the ball when it comes to covenant. We can't drop the ball when it comes to covenant. We have to understand who we are. We have to understand that we're in God's hand. We have to understand that we are in everlasting covenant with God for God to do good for us and to us. And then we go, uh, how do I stay uh, the course? we got to stay in faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-7 through 7 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ by, from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God. You're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm going to stay the course. I'm not going to drop the ball when it comes to faith. I'm going to stay in faith because if I stay in faith, I'm kept by the power of God. I'm going to stay in faith because if I stay in faith, then everything that Calvary paid for is at my disposal. I'm going to stay in faith. I'm not going to drop the ball. I'm going to stay in faith because if I stay in faith, then heaven has to give up what God has prepared for me. I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to talk faith. I'm going to believe faith. I'm going to stay in faith. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaven, is through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried and fire. Now, how can the trial of your faith be much more precious than gold that perisheth? Because what your faith can produce for you is much more precious than anything gold could ever buy for you. You getting that? That the trial of your faith, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's the Bible. It's just the Bible. I'm reading to you the Bible. Is this a feel-good message? Well, it might make you feel good to know that you're in God's hand and no one can snatch you out. It might make you feel good to know that you're in an everlasting covenant with God for God to do good for you all the days of your life. God's not the one that puts sickness on you. He's not the one that puts disease on you. He's not the one that puts poverty on you. He's not the one that caused your child to die. He's not the one that caused your mama to die, your daddy to die. Don't you blame that stuff on God. It's not God. That's not what God does. The Bible said Jesus comes that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Put the blame where it belongs. You've got power over the work of the enemy. Don't drop the ball when it comes to faith. And then the Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, that we should not only stay in faith, but we should also be faithful. We should stay faithful, which is something totally different than staying in faith. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, verse 2 tells us that Moses was faithful. Verse 6 tells us that Jesus was faithful. And verse number 14 tells us that we should remain faithful. We are to hold fast the confidence firm to the end. Then the last point that I want to make today to all of our fathers out there is this, and everyone that's listening really, is this. We also need to stay focused. We need to stay focused. So we need to stay committed. We've got to stay the course. 
We talked about how do we stay the course. Now we're going to talk about staying focused. We stay focused on the cross. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through 18 says this, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. If anyone was qualified to wow you with their oratory skills, the apostle Paul was. Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisee, rose above his equals. But he said, according to the scripture, he said, Christ did not send me to talk to you and try to convince you with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. What he was saying was, if I communicate to you the power of of cross, if I communicate to you the message of Jesus Christ, that's enough. I don't have to wow you with my words. I appreciate so much what our speaker on Friday night at camp meeting said. He said, one of my mentors taught me I don't have to jazz Jesus up. Because when you talk about Jesus, that's enough to cause the bondages to be broken off of people. That's enough to cause sinners to want to give their life to Jesus Christ. Just talk about Jesus. You don't have to build him up any bigger than he already is. It's not possible to build him bigger than he is. He's the biggest thing out there. It's it's not possible. Don't drop the ball when it comes to staying focused. Stay focused. Stay focused on the message of the cross. Because the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto those which are saved, it's the power of God. The second thing is stay focused on the Word of God. Keep the Word of God going in your life. Keep the Word of God active in your life. The Word of God is your instruction manual. It's your navigator. The Word of God is your GPS for life. Your God positioning system. It keeps you on the right track. It keeps you going. And so you need a good dose of the Word of God. You need a good dose of the Holy Ghost every single day. Don't relegate God to Sundays and an occasional Wednesday night. No, He's God Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday start all over again. He's God. Allow Him to be God. Don't drop the ball when it comes to being focused on the Word. Stay in the Word every single day. Well, I just don't have time. Yes, you do. They have apps called Bible.is. Get up in the morning. I just want to play basketball. Get up, in the, get up in the morning, jump in the shower. Before you jump in the shower, like I did this morning, just reach over there to that Bible.is app, turn the volume up, click play, and you can listen to the whole book of 1 Peter while you're taking a shower. Get the Word of God going. Keep it active in your life. Years ago, we used to put Bible on cassette. Remember when Bible on cassette got real popular? And we would do that. And then they came out with these little digital things, you know. And people walking around, you got to get the Bible on your little, whatever that little thing was. I don't even remember what it is. Now they just got these little apps. You can just, you can play it. Anyway, you can go online and you can listen to the Bible read back to you from online. There's no excuse to not have the Word of God in your life. In today's modern technology, why do I need the Word of God in my life? Because the Word of God is your weapon. Now let me tell you something. This is Father's Day, and I don't think it's going to happen, but if my kids were to give me a gun for Father's Day, I'd be like, oh, praise God. I know my kids. They're afraid I'll shoot the dog. They're not going to give me another gun. All right. But if they were to give me a gun, that would be wonderful. But what if I didn't know how to shoot that gun? 
I'd have to go somewhere and have them teach me how to shoot it. I, now, I know how to shoot guns. I've shot guns ever since I was a little boy. But if I didn't know how to shoot that gun, I'd have to go somewhere and they'd have to teach me how to use it. The Bible says the Word of God is your weapon. What are you going to do with that weapon? How are you going to use it? Do you know how to use your weapon? Do you know how to use the weapon of the Word of God, the two-edged sword that the Bible says that it is? Do you know how to use it for the benefit of the kingdom? Do you know how to use it to produce for you in your life? Do you know how to use the Word of God as your weapon? Here's what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. For the Word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breadth of life, soul, and the immortal spirit, and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and the purposes of the heart. That's the Word of God. Verse 13 says, And not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight. So there's nothing that the devil can throw at you that the weapon of the Word of God cannot defeat. Well, then how come I live defeated? Because you don't know how to use your weapon. you got to learn how to use the weapon. Well, how do I do that? Well, you submit to spiritual authority. Let people teach you how to use that weapon. The Bible said, All things are open and exposed to God, naked and defenseless to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And then the third thing that I wanted to talk to you about staying focused on is your family. Listen, dads, stay focused on your family. Stay focused on your family. I love my family. I do. I love my kids. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. And I'm grateful to say that I have no doubt that they love me. Well, sometimes they don't like me. But they always love me. Yesterday, we went down, not yesterday, day before, Day before, I think it was the day before, we went down to the shops at Ellington and picked up this shirt, I'm thinking, for Father's Day. So we're in there, we're shopping around and all of that. And Donna said, I really like that shirt. I said, I do too. So this morning, we're getting ready to leave and come over here, and Donna says, do you think we have time to go to Dunkin' Donuts before we go to church? Sure, why not? They built a new one up here. So we're going through the drive-thru at Dunkin' Donuts, and she turned and looked at me, and she said, Jeremiah would really like that shirt. I said, he can't have it. <laughs> mm. Now, Jeremiah, if a shirt's just a little bit tight on me, Jeremiah gets it. If I got a shirt that's too big, Luke gets it. They're both in prayer constantly. <laughs> yeah. I said, I like this shirt. He can't have this shirt. And so... We went down there and we got this shirt. I thought it was amazing. I, I mean, I love, I love dressing Donna. I like taking care of her. I mean, she's my sweetheart. She's my love. Ain't nobody else going to have her unless I die. But ain't, and, but, and ain't going to happen. But, but ain't nobody else going to have her. She, they can't have her. She's mine. She's my family. The Bible says we're, we need to focus on our family. I want you to, to say this out loud right now. Every man in here, every husband in here, I want you to say, that's my family. Say it. 
Say, that's my family. I want you to look at your wife and say, you are my wife. Tell her, you're my wife. Now, 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 okay, let me help you guys. Okay, here's what you do. You look at her and say, you're my wife. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. They're your, they're your family. They're your family. I like taking care of my family. We went down to buy my shirt. Spent 200 bucks. 50 of it was on me. 150 was on Donna. It was my shopping spree. She got four pairs of pants and two shirts for my Father's Day. I looked at her. I said, I like dressing you, baby. Because she's mine. She's mine. Men, take possession of you. I just don't want to be possessive. Why not? They're yours. Listen, there's times you want to get rid of them. You can't then. Why not, why not enjoy it when you can have them? You know, I, I love my kids. Can't nobody else. When Donna and I were going through a little thing years and years and years ago, read about it in the book. I told her, I said, whatever that Yehu's name was, I'm not even going to give him the, the, anyway, I'm not going to say his name. But anyways, whatever his name was, I said, they may call him, and whatever that name was, I said, but they'll never call him daddy because I'm daddy. I ain't giving that up. I ain't giving that up. And God worked all that out. You guys know about that story. God worked everything out. But they're my kids. I don't want anybody else to be their daddy. They're mine. I've stayed focused on them. I love them. They're part of me. Then came the grandkids. They're my grandkids. They're not the church baby. They're mine. You hear me? They're my grandkids. My Sophia. My Gracie Kay. They're mine. They're mine. Uh, you don't believe me? What did I tell you at the beginning of the service? Open my billfold. There are pictures where money used to be. They're mine. Stay focused on what's yours. Don't turn loose of it. Treat them right. Hold them close. Listen, men. Hold them close. Love on them. Buy stuff for them. Invest in them. Take care of them. Make sure that they know that they are the most precious, most dear thing to you in your entire life. Not only are they your family, you're their dad. You're their papa. You hear me? You're their provider. You're their protector. You're their example. You're their example. They'll watch you from afar if they have to. Be the right kind of an example don't drop the ball. Because if you do, you never know what is going to pick it up. <laughs> Amen? We worked that out, by the way.
Points well taken. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.